This is Prevent Defense, the podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense podcast brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com, the smartest way to hire. Of course, go check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. But for now, I am your host, Elliot Shore Parks, brought to you by the one, the only, the mango peeling, Brian <laughs> Baldinger, who's living it up right now. Well-deserved little trip out there. Baldy, how you doing, man? Well, it's, uh, you know, I'm just living the life of a Tico down here in uh, Costa Rica, Elliot. Um, you know, you got you to gotta get off the treadmill at some point, you know, <laughs> and sort of recharge and, you know, get yourself back in shape and, you know, have some fun and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I got my I got my spots around the world and I'm in one of them right now. So I'm in a great spot. So is this your first time in Costa Rica or is this, is this No, I, 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 I come in every year for like about, I've been coming to this one area in the Nicoya Peninsula for about 10 years, but I've been coming down here for about 15 years. So, you know, I got my, my nephew's down here. He's actually a lifeguard down here and a bunch of wow. buddies got a house down here. So, I mean, we're in, we got our own little community here. So um, everybody was in the water surfing this morning and uh, we're taking a little break right now. And, uh, Talk a little football, wrap up the season here, Elliot, with you, and get on with the day. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you from the waves. I've never tried to surf. I have done, like, kneeboarding and stuff off the back of the boat, but never surfed. I feel like it would be very difficult. Is this, did you just pick it up naturally at Baldy Breakdown? Like, how, how's the surfing game of uh, Baldy? I'm a longboarder, man. You know, give me a 12-foot board about the size of a condo, and, you know, you can, you can get me up on just about any wave. These are... It's a, it's a really good spot down here. You could, anybody could surf in a matter of hours. Anybody. Um, there's just good phones. The waves have good speed and there's just good kind of beginning waves here. And then they have the advanced stuff that is uh, way beyond my means here. But you can still uh, get in the water every day and you have yourself a great time, man. And you could do this until the day that you just don't want to be active anymore. All right. Well, let, let's get into the, uh, let's get into the latest around the league. Lots of new things going on. Uh, talks of a 17-game schedule. Antonio Brown maybe says, I'm sorry for the first time in what feels like forever. But let's start with a little bit of Eagles news. Um, Eagles make uh, make their coaching hires after moving on from Mike Grow. They promote Press Taylor to their passing game coordinator. They're, they're going to go with a pass game coordinator and a run game coordinator like the 49ers, like the McVeighs. But they bring in a name that uh, maybe a lot of Eagles fans hadn't heard of, but I know you're really big on him. We are talking a little before the recording. Uh, former Denver offensive coordinator, Rich Gangarello. He's going to come in as a senior offensive assistant. I do know that one thing Jeffrey Lurie really wanted uh, Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson to do is to bring in a coach with some fresh ideas. And, you know, from talking to some Eagles fans about that, you hear, okay, well, they need fresh ideas, and that's a shot at Doug. I, I don't think it's a shot at Doug. I think anytime you've been coaching four straight years with the same voices in your ears – any coach, even Belichick, uh, Kyle Shanahan, all these guys, they're going to need fresh ideas simply because, you know, if you do the same thing for four years and not that the Eagles haven't adjusted, but I think it's a good idea to bring him in. But I want your opinion of the actual coach. What's Gangarello known for? What should Eagles fans expect? Is this a, a hire you like? I do like it. I, I liked it. I liked it in Denver. I mean, he was with Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta. Um you know, he was with them in San Francisco. Uh, he went to Denver last year. And uh, although, you know, they went through three quarterbacks there. Um, I thought at the end with the rookie Drew Locke 
and with Cortland Sutton and what they were doing, I thought it was pretty good. They're, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Drew Locke, I think, won four of his last five games, and I thought they were turning the corner now. Vic, Vic Fangio, it sounded like, I mean, he was calling him out in public. It, it did sound like he was a big fan. They hit it off. They didn't really know each other. They were kind of put together by a third party. And so, look, I mean, coaching staffs are like families spend, you know, 18 hours a day with each other. And if you don't click, you don't click. But that, to me, is not a knock on Rich Gangarella. I, I think he's a very bright, innovative guy. Um, I think the Eagles were desperately in need of that last year. Yep. Um, you know, I think there's uh, an awful lot of change, obviously, in the NFC East right now with what the Giants have done, what the Redskins have done, what the Cowboys have done. Um, you know, I mean, I think there's just a great deal of change, and I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing for the division. I think it's because it was not a good division last year. And I think it's a good thing for the Eagles because I think all these other coaches, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, w- whether it's, uh, you know, Chico down in Washington or Joe Judge in New York, I think when they start kind of getting ready for the NFC East next year, uh, what Mike McCarthy does, they're going to see a kind of a different Eagles offense rather than one that they could probably go back and watch for four years. So I think that's kind of a, a good thing for the Eagles as they compete in the division. Um, I'd be interested to see who actually calls the plays. If Doug will still call the plays, if Rich calls the plays. One thing I know about Doug and one of his real strengths is he is a very good collaborator, in-game collaborator. That guy could take in a great deal of information from a lot of different sources and spit out the play. And I I think it's actually one of his real strengths. Uh, There's a lot of coaches that cannot do that. And so I think, he's, you know, surrounding yourself with bright young guys with new ideas and fresh ideas and different ways of running motions and running motions for different reasons and different purposes. I think it's a, it's a good thing for the offense. I think it's going to be for, good for Carson. The one thing question I have, Elliot, is like who actually is going to coach Carson? Because I'm not picking on Carson. All quarterbacks, they have to be coached. They have to be coached starting in this offseason. With their mechanics, they got to be drilled constantly, and I just don't know which of these guys is that Press Taylor's job to continue to do that because if it is, he has to do a better job at his job. Yeah, so so that's my thing. Um, a, a couple things off what you said. First, I I'll focus on Carson. One thing I do like about the Scangarello hire is I went back and I watched at least one Denver game, um, and they did a great job of pulling uh, Drew Locke out of the pocket and getting him on the move. And that's last year when you saw Carson at his best was when he wasn't just sitting back in the pocket. And part of that is because he's not an especially accurate quarterback right now from the pocket. So when he was forced to, you know, deliver 20, 25 passes from the pocket, that's when you saw, you know, the inaccurate throws and the offense really stall. When they had got him out on the move, he looked great. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the league on the move. So I think that's something that he can bring to the offense. Now, when you talk about who's going to be coaching Carson, that was my big thing with hoping they didn't just make Press Taylor the flat-out offensive coordinator because, you know, me and you have somewhat debated Carson on this pod, and I think last year was a real up-and-down year for him, but I don't think anyone can make the argument that Carson has improved since Press Taylor became his quarterback coach. Now, I understand there's been injuries and, you know, a, a litany of other things, but bottom line is I don't think Carson has improved. I don't think his mechanics has improved. In fact, I think you can make the argument his mechanics have taken a step back and press that that's his job. I mean, he's the quarterback coach. And the one concern I have with press is he's 32 years old. 
Like, that's only six years older than Carson. I mean, they're basically peers. So when you look at, like, when was Carson at his best? It was when John Filippo was there coaching him hard. And I'm not saying Press doesn't coach him hard, but I just think there's a difference between a seasoned vet like Filippo and a young up-and-coming coach like Press Taylor, especially with a guy like Carson, who, and I don't mean this in a bad way, can be hard-headed. He, you know, people compare him to Brett Favre in a way in terms of his personality about how he can be tough to coach sometimes, right? So that would be my concern. I mean, I'd be interested in your opinion on whether you think Carson has improved under Press Taylor because I frankly don't think he has. Well, I didn't think he had a good, you know, good say. I know he finished strong and he won four games against, you know, pretty poor NFC East opponents. And yeah, I'm not, I mean, you win, you, wins are wins. But I, I think, I thought mechanically, like he was all over the place last year. And mm-hmm. I think Carson is very hard headed about it. And I do think he challenges coaches. It's just, kind of innate in his personality. He was challenging Doug his second year in his league when Doug was saying things that, you know, had to be corrected. And he was openly defiant about it. I mean, it's it's out there on record. I, you know, I mean, when he, but the thing that when I watch Carson, he'll tell you when he makes a mistake. Like, he his emotions get him. Like, he'll, he'll slap himself upside the helmet when he overthrows Miles Sanders by four feet. And he's out yep. there in the flat. You know, I mean, we've seen, we've all seen it. And those reactions kind of tell you, like, man, I, I mean, because if you're mechanically sound, you know why you miss a pass. You don't have to go slap yourself upside the helmet. You know, I mean, if you go back and you watch that one game that Drew Brees played this year where he missed one pass the whole day, but the pass he missed bugged him more than anything else the whole day. And he, But he knows why. He didn't set his feet. He didn't square his shoulders. He didn't do some of the basics that he did on all the completions. But he knew the reason why. He missed the throw, and that's what bugged him. And I think the great players in this league basically have a coach inside their head, and they can basically know, I don't care if you're an offensive lineman, if you're you know, a cornerback, you're a quarterback. Once you get your mechanics down where you know, like I spent four days with Kurt Warner at the Pro Bowl just talking fundamentals and, and techniques, and he was a great fundamental thrower. He had to be. He wasn't a, an escape artist. But, you know, when you watch Carson, he doesn't throw with his legs at his lower body the way Patrick Mahomes does, even the way Kyler Murray does. They're all baseball players. Russell Wilson. I mean, they throw with their lower bodies. Part of it is from being great baseball players. And you got to torque your body. You got to keep your cleats in the ground. And he has he's so strong that he just feels like he can just get away with it, throwing with his upper body. And that was it leads him to mistakes. And it starts with your footwork and your legs. And how you torque your body. Your body does the work. And I think if he ever wants to be truly great, and to be great, you have to be consistent. To be in that category, it's going to be starting with your fundamentals. And I think that he needs – this is the first season now in quite a while, in three years, I believe, where he's going to be healthy this offseason. It's a great chance to really spend four or five months right now of really dedicated uh, work – towards his fundamentals and carry that over to practice in the games. Yeah, I agree. Now I'm interested to see how Scangarello comes in and impacts that. I do, do get the feeling he'll be very much involved with Carson. Press Taylor is still the quarterback coach, but I think you'll see Scangarello really work hands-on with Carson. And again, I do think Doug's one of Doug's best qualities is he, he's still going to call the plays, but he does listen to people. And I think that's why you saw when Frank Reich was here, them have so much success. That if Doug's surrounded by somebody he trusts, he will listen to him and let him. I mean, Press Taylor, for God's sakes, found the Philly special, which was the biggest call, 
you know, in the history of the organization. And Nick Foles suggested it. So Doug is definitely open to ideas. But let's move on. Um, There's some talk this week from the NFLPA. They're meeting with the league, uh, trying to come up with a new CBA. And it seems like there's still some optimism. They'll get it done before March 18th, which is the start of the new league year. But the big kind of sticking point right now, or at least one of them, is the 17-game schedule. Uh, Certain players have come out pretty strongly against it, Richard Sherman being one of them. Uh, And obviously, this is something the league wants. I mean, it's a full extra Sunday of revenue. Uh, It stretches the season out longer. It pushes the playoffs back. And you're just dominating more of the year when you have that extra week in there. So as a former player, what do you think about going from from 16 to 17 games? Well, I mean, if they were going to prorate the your salaries and you'd make, you know, a 17th more additional money. Or if they, because, you know, it's already kind of survival of the fittest about a 16 game schedule. If they expanded the, not expanded the roster, but you were allowed to address all 53 players, which I still think they should do rather than just the 46 on game day. I mean, if you can dress all 53, you give more guys opportunities to play. You'd have a long, uh, you know, a bigger roster. You'd have more rotation, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I would be for it. If if it's just status quo, your contract is your contract, and they just add a game. I mean, if I was a player, I wouldn't agree to that at all. But if you're telling me, and you're telling the NFLPA that we can dress more players so that they're, you know, 53 active instead of the seven inactive on Sundays, then if we could do that, and you prorate the salaries over a 17 game schedule, then I would be interested in doing that. Now, do you have any health concerns, though? Because that's an interesting view. I mean, I, I mostly, you know, the players and the former players will look at it from, okay, this is another, you know, another game on our body. And we already know that the league is trying to make the game safer and injuries are always going to be an issue in football. Um, in terms of the money, I, I do – look, the the NFL has – NFLPA is one of the worst um, contract situations out there when you look at the other leagues. I mean, they're – you know, only a fraction of their um, deals are guaranteed. You can basically cut a player at any time. You don't see that in the other professional major sports. So I do think that's one thing. If they do get the 17-game schedule, I would hope the NFLPA is able to push for a better financial situation, both with extra pay, which I'm, I'm fairly sure they'll, they'll end up getting, but also just with more guaranteed money. I mean, Kirk Cousins is the only player out there that has a fully guaranteed deal with every single penny of, of substance, right? So, but from a health perspective, does that worry you at all? I mean, you 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 know you played, you know, like is is an extra game that big of a deal, or is this uh, maybe is that made too much made of that? Well, I'll be here. Here's the one caveat: if they add a second bye week, I think that would really help. Yep. Um, so that that and that's part of the discussion is 17 games over 18 weeks or 19 weeks. So. I'd be interested in that if you got an extra bye week where you'd have another week where you could really kind of rest up, you know, throughout the seasons and space the bye weeks out, um, you know, fairly evenly. I think that's a challenge by itself. But if you did that, then I think that's something that I would be interested in. Uh, I, I, you know, as a player, I'm trying to make as much money as I can while I can make it. And so if I can make another game check during the season versus injury concerns, I'm taking the extra check. So whether it's 16 games, 17 games, whenever that does happen, one player that's going to try to play in, in a single game next year is Antonio Brown. Um, he finally is kind of trying to make, I would say, his first real effort to get back in the league since uh, what's been, 
I don't even know how to describe his last year. I mean, disaster is one of them, but also concerning would be another word in terms of what his last uh, year has been like. But he goes on an apology tour. Um, he's talking to, uh, you know, media outlets, basically saying that he's sorry for what happened with the Steelers. Um, I guess my question for you is, I think at certain points of the Antonio Brown saga, it just seemed like too much has happened. Like he won't be back. I mean, I know he got the workout with the Saints, but he didn't get signed. And then he comes and calls out a publicity stunt. Do you think Antonio Brown will ever play another game in the NFL? Yeah, I do. I do. Because yeah. talent always wins out, Elliot. And yep. um, look, he, he was there in New England for three days. He caught a touchdown pass and four passes. The offense looked a lot better than it did, you know, in that game against against the Dolphins. Um, he's a he's a great football player. He's a head case. Now, I, you know, I, I make sure that he's psychologically sound and probably, you know, get him to some kind of psychiatrist and put him through a battery of tests. And, you know, does he have is there substance abuse issues is. You know what? What's going on in his personal life? I mean, I I'd, I'd vet him really, really hard, but I do. But to answer your question, I do think he's going to play. I mean, I've seen cases that. I mean, I'm, I don't want to go into the history of guys that have done just crazy off the field things, but we right. know that there's been guys that have done crazy off the field things, and they got a chance to play because they were really good players. So I think he's going to get an opportunity to play. I I don't. You know, he had an unbelievable opportunity in Oakland with a coach that really wanted him with a new contract and he screwed it up. And from that point on, like it, it was a horrible, horrible year for him personally. And everybody that he touched, you know, he was just uh, like a cancer. But I think it's always starts in anything in life for retribution. It always starts with the mea culpa and to be sincere about it. And once you're able to do that, look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. And if he if he's really doing that, or if it's and this isn't just a charade, just to get in the league, but if he's truly sorry, and he can really look at himself in the mirror and say, "This I'm the reason why this league, this year was such a mess," he could do that. That's a good start to coming back. And I think somebody is definitely going to sign him, and I think he's going to play him. You know, I agree with you. I do. I do think like that. I don't know if this is a sad thing or just a show of where we're at, but like things always wash over, right? I mean, you look at even just incident he had two weeks ago, I think it was with the police officers outside of his house and incident with, uh, you know, his, I don't know if I want to call him her, his girlfriend or whatever. Like there's just things always happen, but people, frankly, they just always forget. So although it seems now crazy that he could potentially play again, I think you're right in a month, two months from now, he can lay low, keep quiet. I do think you'll see him back in the league and it'll be interesting to see where he ends up, honestly, because you know, the, the Saints have brought him in, obviously, uh, for the workout. And I don't think you'll ever see him back in Pittsburgh. But who knows? Maybe the, the Patriots bring him back if Tom Brady's back there. So it'll be interesting to see where that where that saga continues. But all right, I want to try to get into some questions, kind of recapping this season. Now that it's over, what we learned, what we still want to learn, uh, what shocked us, what didn't. So I'm going to ask you for one thing that shocked you and one thing that disappointed you this year. But I'll start. Um, I think the thing that shocked me more than anything this year was Ryan Tannehill. For him to do what he did in Tennessee, like if you would have told me before the year that Ryan Tannehill was going to beat both 
Tom Brady, and then also Lamar Jackson in a playoff game, I would have thought you were crazy. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously the running game played a huge part of that, but I think sometimes the focus on the running game takes away from what Tannehill is doing as a passer. I mean, the Titans did a good job throwing the ball. I mean, his stats obviously back that up in terms of his quarterback rating and all that stuff. Tannehill's a guy that, to me in Miami, seemed like he was just never going to be able to win, right? He had health concerns, and he he was never that good in Miami. So... For Tannehill to do what he did, and it's perfect timing, of course, with him being a free agent, but I think the biggest shock for me this season was the fact that Ryan Tannehill won two playoff games. Uh, I I sat down with Ryan at the Pro Bowl this year. We did a film session with him. And, you know, I mean, it was was one hour. But in that hour with him, I mean, he's got a clear picture of what he looks at. He has a really kind of a quiet – self-assured confidence about himself. Um, he is a very good to an elite athlete. Mm-hmm. And he really took to the Titans, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator. And he he really played it perfectly. Uh, it was Marcus Mariota's team until it wasn't his team. And so he, he, had, he had to assert himself kind of quietly in different ways. I think he learned a lot about himself. But after spending an hour with him, I don't see how the Titans could let him walk. And I don't know what, how you structure the contract and what that contract looks like, but I, I don't know that where they're sitting in the draft, that they're going to find any kind of a replacement in the draft. And I don't believe there's another free agent quarterback out there that can do what he can do. He's just in the prime of his career. I, and I agree. It was a shock. But after sitting down with him, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, man, he's got a lot to work with right here. Yeah, and if they're able to bring back Derrick Henry, I think the Titans will be right back, at least in the playoff hunt, if not in the playoffs next year. What's one thing that shocked you from this last season? Uh, you know, I, I guess it was just the, how uncompetitive the Rams were. After okay, kind of being the toast of the league for two years and being in the Super Bowl, like they just were ne- – they never got it together. They never seemed competitive. Um, I know they won some games and – but they, the offense never looked like a top five offense like it was the two previous years. It was the same coach, pretty much the same staff. I know they lost a couple offensive linemen, but I mean, they just never looked like they ever clicked the whole year. And I could have never predicted that before this the season started. I agree. And I think that, you know, obviously we, we've seen the Eagles go to two Super Bowls in Philadelphia and the year after both times have been a bit of a disappointment, obviously in 2005 with the T.O. fiasco. And then in 2018, they did make the playoffs, but they were well on their way to not doing it. So I'm interested to see how much of that is just the Super Bowl hangover of losing that Super Bowl. Um, but look, they're certainly a team going into next season, I think has major question mark on them because you know, it's one thing to do it for one year, and it's kind of what you said earlier about how to be great, you have to be consistent. You know, McVay certainly, I think, needs to have a bounce back year, Jared Goff, all those things. So the Rams are definitely a team that was disappointing. For me, the one I think I'm going to say disappointed me the most was Baker Mayfield. And at first I had the Cleveland Browns down, but I think I just, I, I'm going to go exclusively with Baker just because, look, the Browns are a, a, a frankly terrible organization. So for them to come up small is not overly surprising. But for Baker to have the year he did, both on the field and off of it, like coming off his rookie year, I thought Baker was getting ready to take off, right? I said he was better than Carson Wentz, like his his accuracy, those type of things. For him to have the year he did, and part of it's Freddie Kitchens, but it was just very disappointing to see. And 
I'm not as big on Baker as I used to. He has a lot to prove to me next year. For him to have such that disastrous year with all the talent around him, I think going into next year, he's one of the players with the most pressure on him in the league. Well, I, I think I, I will always defend Baker because I feel like I know him. I just saw yeah. him at, uh, at the Super Bowl in Miami last week. And um, I, I think it goes to show you how important and vital great culture is. And if you don't have it, young talent, old talent, I mean, talent just can wither. It can just never get get going. And I thought it was obviously from the very first game of the season against Tennessee when that 18 penalties and left tackle got kicked out of the game, that it was an undisciplined environment. It was not a good culture. And Baker did not thrive. He, you know, he, he really regressed. Um, and it just goes to show you that it's, it's, anybody can assemble a talented roster, but it is so much more than that in the NFL. And I think Baker really took a step back because of the culture that was created. And part of it is a losing culture. Part of it was Freddie was in over his head. And none of us really knew that. The players didn't know that until he, they saw that he was over his head, how he handled things, the, the little stunts that he pulled. I mean, just almost like just immature type behavior. And I think that really was a problem for Baker. And I don't know that with what they're doing right now, that it is fixed. I don't know that. Um, you know, I know Andrew Barry is a new general manager. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like, that, you know, he was part of the problem to begin with when they were 1-31 in and passing on yep. Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they were all there for Cleveland to take, and they didn't evaluate those guys right. So, I, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I just think, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Cleveland would still be pretty good. But I don't think he'd be the MVP of the league or the MVP of the Super Bowl if he was in Cleveland. No, I, I 100% agree. And look, you played in the league. You've been around the league for a long time. In my seven years being around the league and being in locker rooms, there is no question that the most important thing for a quarterback to succeed is what's around him, right? I mean, Nick Foles could be the poster for that, but you look all over the league, guys that are supremely talented, but they end up in the wrong spot. They have a bad head coach. They don't, you know, put the right offensive line around them. And all the talent in the world can't get you past that. And you're absolutely right. If ba if uh, Patrick Mahomes was on the Browns, yeah, he would be better, right? He would still be good. I mean, he, he can do things that other quarterbacks can't. But with Freddie Kitchens there and all that, I think he would have he struggled. So I, I'm really hoping next year, with Stefanski in there as head coach, I'm hoping Baker has a bounce back here. So now let's talk about one thing we learned this year. And this is something where at the beginning of the year, I was, you know, basically mocking the Giants every day for taking Saquon Barkley. You look at, you know, the value they put there, the running back position. I think one thing I learned this season is that running backs matter more than I thought they did. I mean, and not just running the ball, but you look at more and more offenses around the league. I mean, the Ravens, obviously, with Mark Ingram. Uh, the Giants, you know, their offense was certainly not good. But I just think more and more teams are starting to put an emphasis on the running game and the running back. And so guys like Saquon at number two overall, I, I don't know if it's as crazy as I used to think it was. And I think going forward, you'll see more of an emphasis placed on the running back position than you used to. I mean, there was one draft a few years ago where I think only one got taken in the first round. Maybe it was none. Mm -hmm. I think those days have kind of passed. Well, I think I'm just going to go back to an old familiar story in the NFL and that if you don't have a marquee quarterback, 
you're not going to win long term. And it might be, and I'm picking on the older guys, but you might need a young marquee quarterback. Because we all saw what Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, and Patrick Mahomes did this year. And it was truly remarkable to watch. I mean, the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs were the two most exciting teams to watch start to finish all year long. And they have probably the two most exciting players in the league. They just happen to also play quarterback. And yep. if you look at the evolution of this game, it is really changing right in front of us. I mean, if you're a 10-year-old kid, uh, and I just did uh, 20 film sessions last week at the Pro Bowl, or two weeks ago at the Pro Bowl. Then I started talking to these guys about when they started playing football. But if you're the best athlete in your neighborhood, in your school, um, it used to be they just put you up running back and just, you know, gave you the ball. But if I'm yeah. a 10-year-old kid right now and I'm watching Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson, I'm like, Coach, I want to play quarterback. I want to play. I want to play. I want to, I'm the best athlete. I want to play quarterback. Teach me how to throw. Put me. Build an offense. I mean, starting at 10. I mean, I, I think that it's going to change. We're, we're not going to get Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and Tom Brady. We're, we're not going to find those guys. We're going to find the best athletes are going to learn how to throw the football, read defenses at an earlier age, and that's going to be the future of this business right now. And we're seeing it. And to watch Drew Brees get bounced and Phil Rivers not make it and Tom Brady have a bad year, I mean, look, it's great that you can extend your careers to 40 or beyond. But this is a young man's game and specifically a young quarterback's game. And if you and you watch what happens in the next couple months here, uh, Elliot, to Joe Burrow and watch the prices that start getting talked about to maybe secure that number one pick from Cincinnati, because I I think it's going to be the highest ransom ever offered. Uh, And I think there's going to be more than one team that is going to go in there and say, let's build this thing the only way that you can build it with an elite player at this position, and we'll figure out everything else later. We got five years to build it. So let's let's see what we can do in the next five years with this guy. And I think that's that's where that's what I learned. And that's what I've always and it's it's reinforced now with what I saw this year. Okay, so one thing I think I still want to know. So coming out of this year, I really don't feel like I got a grasp on how good Sam Darnold actually is. And I think part of that is because obviously he missed part of the season with an illness. Then they were good towards the second half of the year. But two years into his career, I mean, coming out of the draft, I thought Sam Darnold was the best quarterback in that draft. I thought he should have been the number one pick. I thought he was really going to be something special. Two years in, I'm not sure I really know how good he is. He's had moments. um, And, you know, him and Adam Gase finished strong. But I don't know if I can look at Darnold and say he's one of the best young quarterbacks in the league or like he is the guy the Jets need, that the Jets don't have to worry about quarterback. I'm not sure I know that. And two years into his career, that's somewhat concerning. And that's something I really wish I had an answer to after two years. Well, I I, I mean, I understand um, the concerns. And it's kind of an incomplete year after, you know, getting Mino in the first week and the team yep. was horrible around him. So I'm just going to give him a solid incomplete. I'm going to see Sam in Maui in uh, two weeks. We're working a football clinic over there. So nice. uh, I'm anxious just to <clears throat> try to be around him in that type of a setting. I think he's got great leadership qualities. Uh, but, you know, there, there's just nobody that can do it alone. Um, there was so many bad parts of that Jets team for so for, for many of much of the season. Um, I, I am, I'm a, 
a big Sam Darnold fan, and I believe he'll be a top five quarterback uh, probably starting this season. So I want to get some division, some division by division questions for you about coming into this offseason. You know, what what do we feel the biggest questions are, those type of things. But before we do, got to tell you guys about ZipRecruiter. We are lucky enough to have them as our sponsor here at the Prevent Defense Podcast. They've been rocking with us since day one, which we, of course, appreciate. And if you listen to the pod, you hear every week about guys like Dylan Miskowitz and, you know, Cafe Altura, and you know that hiring can be a challenge. I mean, the Eagles, frankly, found that out over the last month, right? They came in looking for an offensive coordinator. They ended up with two coordinators, none with the title of offensive coordinator. They interviewed different guys. They didn't get it. The lesson they've probably learned is hiring is challenging. But with ZipRecruiter, and it wouldn't surprise me if they use ZipRecruiter, honestly. Howie's a smart guy. He uh, he knows where to get the good information from. With ZipRecruiter, it can be a lot easier because ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them up to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job at ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying. And by Dylan, of course, I mean Howie, and found his new director of coffee, or for the Eagles, their coordinators, in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. You can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes when you try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And Baldy, before we wrap this one up, I want to take a division a division by division look. Just real quick, what you think the biggest questions are. I came up, I came up with one question for each division. So I'm going to throw okay. it at you and see what you think. Uh, all right, let's start with the NFC North. I think... Without question, the most disappointing team that year, this year in that division was the Bears coming off of the last second playoff loss. People saw them as a team ready to take a step forward. Instead, they took two steps back. I think the biggest question in the NFC North is, can the Bears bounce back? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, the people just don't see the talent, the consistency, or the development of Mitch Trubisky. And, you know, when you're the second pick in the draft, um, and you're traded up, and you're in the same draft as Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. You're always going to get compared to those guys, and that's not fair to Mitch. Um, but you made a huge investment in him. They have to, they have to take another year to make it work. And he's got to play better. The offensive line has got to get better. It's not a very good offensive line. Um, I thought Matt Nagy went from coach of the year to, you know people really scratching their head at like, who is this guy and what does he bring? I mean, it's, but that happens in this business. And so I wouldn't disagree with that at all. And then I think, you know, the only other caveat I would add to the NFC North is, is Green Bay for real or were they kind of like season long frauds? Because that's what everybody questioned about just what that team was this year, offensively and defensively. I agree. And I think going into next year, they'll probably be viewed as the favorite in that division. But anytime you have a rookie head coach, we saw it with Sean McVay. When you have a lot of success early on, it's tough to do a year after year. So I do think the Packers are a question mark going into next year. Let's go to the NFC East. I'll keep this one simple for you. Will Amari Cooper be back in Dallas? I do, I do think he's going to be back. I, I think that, yeah. I mean, if you take Amari out of that offense, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that they have anybody that is a guy that can really beat man coverage. And if you're playing Stephon Gilmore or Tredavious White or some of the elite corners in the league, you better find somebody that can do it. And 
uh, you know, I guess they go to free agency or go to the draft and try to find it, but I think he's going to be back. All right, another big question in the NFC South. This one, probably a bigger question than the Amari Cooper one, is really going to set the tone for the Carolina Panthers. Matt Rule has a decision to make a quarterback. Will Cam Newton be back in Carolina? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they're ready to turn the page. I think they've seen the best of Cam Newton. I think the injuries have compounded. Maybe they make a mistake. Maybe Cam Newton goes to Chicago or someplace and has a you know a real great second act. But I think they're ready to move on in Carolina. I, I think I'm, I'm sure the injuries that he had this year, whether Liz Frank, whatever, is going to heal. But I think you got a new coach, uh, a new way of doing things. I think they're going to start fresh. I agree. And I think Chicago, you hit the nail on the head, would be a perfect spot for him. Uh, Creative head coach, even after a step back last year, good position where I think he can, I mean, honestly, kind of win like he did before in Carolina with a great defense uh, and a good head coach. So I I think Cam Newton in Chicago would would be good for him. And I think he would benefit from a change of scenery. All right, NFC West, I'm going to touch on the Rams again. I'm going to focus on Jared Goff. Is Jared Goff a real issue for the Rams or can they win with him a quarterback? I think that he's got... Accuracy issues. I mean, I know people say he's greatly accurate, but when the games are on the line, he seems to really struggle putting the ball in certain places. And I think Sean McVay can only do so much in the play-action pass game to where to go with the ball. And we've seen it now for a couple years where you just kind of scratch your head. Uh, Is talented, and I think he is talented, but I think he's – can he – I just don't think quarterbacks improve their accuracy – very much over the course of their careers. I think we've seen probably the best that he's going to be. Well, that could potentially be an issue for Carson and the Eagles. I think Carson's more accurate than Jaron Goff, but he has accuracy issues. And I agree with you. I think it's tough for a quarterback. Now, these are young guys. I mean, although I guess Carson's 26 now, but uh, I think improving accuracy is really tough to do once you're already in the league. Um, Let's move to the AFC. The AFC East, a division that normally there was no questions. It was just the Patriots are going to win it, and then we'll see how far they go in the playoffs. But next year, I think, is the first time in a while we can legitimately ask, and I'll ask you, Baldy. You don't have to tell me who, but will another team besides the Patriots win the division next year? Well, I'll I'll, I'll only answer it if somebody could tell me if Tom Brady is going to be there. Because I think if Tom Brady stays, and I've I've, I've said all along that I don't believe he's going to play for another team but the Patriots. Mm-hmm. I know that Chargers make sense. I know other teams that he has been sort of speculated at going to can make some sense. But I believe the Patriots, if they want to win the East again, their best bet, and I don't know that they have a succession plan. It doesn't look like they do if Tom Brady is going to be there. But if Tom Brady's there, they're going to win the East. I, I think Buffalo has narrowed the gap. But I think Brady, if I was the Patriots, I would sign Brady and I would build around him. And I win another division and, and make one more run in the postseason. Um, and I think that's the best bet. If Brady isn't there, then I think Buffalo is ready to win that division. So you mentioned this team, and it, and it leads me to my next question for the next division. AFC West, who will be the Chargers quarterback? Because we've already seen some reports and speculation that Phillip Rivers will not be back, leading the speculation maybe Brady will be there. But I agree with you. I think Brady ultimately ends up back with the Patriots. I think it's too important for Robert Kraft that he ends his career there. I think Brady wants to do the same. And at this point in your career, you don't really want to change. They brought um, McDaniels back. So I don't think Brady leaves, but that could potentially leave the Chargers looking for a quarterback. So my question for you for the AFC West is, who will be the Chargers quarterback next year? Well, I think they're going to draft a quarterback. And I think they're going to draft him high. 
And uh, I don't know if that's Tua or Justin Abert or, you know, Love. I mean, I don't know who it's going to be yet, but I think they're going to draft a quarterback. They'll have, uh, you know, somebody ready to go, a journeyman, uh, potentially, to kind of start uh, if he doesn't win the job. But I think the pay- I think they've got a they got a big problem moving to a new stadium in Los Angeles right now. They do not have a very charged up fan base. Um, I, I, I would not sign a player. Let's say Tom Brady could be signed. I would not sign a player just because you're trying to sell tickets. Because I don't believe that that's any kind of a long-term answer. I think you've got to go find yourself Patrick Mahomes or somebody, somebody like that, that the fan base can get excited about. And they'll be patient with them if they see real talent. And I think that's what they're going to do. So speaking of the draft, and you're, you're leading me perfectly into these next questions, I appreciate it. So the AFC North, we've already talked a little bit about Joe Burrow. You think there could be a huge offer to move, move up to number one. I agree. The question I'll, I'll ask you, though, does Joe Burrow play next year for the Bengals? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> the tough one, My right? guess is and yes. I, 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 I don't know how. I think they can entertain all the offers, and I think there's going to be substantial offers. I'd like to know how they think of Tua or any other candidates right now because if you can get a King's Ransom for the number one pick, but you feel like Tua or Abert or you know whoever it is, if, if you believe that they can be as good, if not better, then you'd be foolish not to make that deal um, if that's how you evaluate this quarterback. So the combine is going to be huge for everybody, but – my guess right now is, yes, he will play for the Bengals next year. So I thought what Carson Palmer said, I think it was on FS1, but he said something interesting where he said if he was Burrow, he would not want to go to Cincinnati. And first of all, for a former quarterback to say that about his franchise, it was bold. I mean, I, I appreciate the honesty there. I do think we could see Joe Burrow be one of the first quarterbacks in a while to say, I don't want to go to Cincinnati. Now, he's you know from the area, so it might be tougher, but... Man, I, I just think Joe Burrow in the right spot could be so good, and we talked about it earlier. The Bengals are not a place right now where if I'm a quarterback, I want to go there. I don't think they have the right structure around them. I still have questions about the head coach. It'll be interesting to see if Joe Burrow tries to force his way to a Miami or you know somewhere else in the draft. Um, final question for you from the AFC South, and we'll stick with the quarterback theme here. Do the Colts need a quarterback, or are you confident in Jacoby Brissett going forward? No, I think they need a quarterback. I mean, it's not a knock on Jacoby Brissett, but I think we've seen what he is. And I think he is – everybody, you know, rallies around him. I think he's a great guy to have on your team. I, I don't think that he's a frontline quarterback. I mean, I'm talking like top 10 quarterback. And that's what that team needs. And so I think they need an upgrade at that position. I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, Jacoby started off good last year and I get why coming off of the Andrew Luck thing, you maybe wanted to re-sign him and, you know, give your team an answer at the position, but they need another quarterback. They absolutely do. So, all right, Baldy, I am going to let you get back to your vacation, yeah. get back to Thank those you. mangoes, get your longboard out. Thanks for everything this season. We're obviously going to keep recording, but now that I feel like we're wrapping up the season, really appreciate all the knowledge you dropped this season on the Prevent Defense pod and uh, look forward to the next episode. I do too, Elliot. I enjoyed uh, every one of these episodes. Look forward to uh, you know talking football with you each week and look forward to doing it down the road with you as well. Thank you. Yep. Thanks again to all the listeners and we will talk to you guys soon. Like I said, thanks to everybody for listening. We really appreciate everyone that's been tuning in each week to the Prevent Defense Podcast. But for some new listeners out there, maybe this is your first episode, I want to tell you a story that 
listeners are well aware of, and that is about Dylan Miskowitz, Cafe Altura COO Dylan Miskowitz, I should say. He experienced some challenging he experienced some challenges trying to make some hires after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. But then what did he do? He switched to ZipRecruiter and he saw an immediate difference. And you can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying and found his new director of coffee in just a few days. Well, with results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And you can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes when you try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 